You're listening to Party Chat, a Harry Gamers podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening to Party Chat. I'm your co-host, Talon McIntyre, and with me is the greatly bearded one... Cormac Elms, how you doing? Good, man, good. So, week one, episode one, we're doing it. Uh, we've talked about this for so long, and here we are. Yeah, dude, I'm so excited. You know, we've had so many conversations around the apartment while we're playing video games or just after work or you know in the morning we we have so many opportunities to record um you know interesting and thought-provoking conversations we never do it until now and here we go so um you know for our very first episode you know what i think we should tell the listeners is why we're doing this and why they should listen to us a little bit of our background in gaming as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I think that we're both kind of well-versed on. We do a lot of it anyways, almost to an obscene amount of time. So, yeah, might, let's get into it. Uh, why, why do you want to do this with me? What about video gaming do you like? You know, what's your story? Well, obviously, I'm very passionate about gaming. Um, I've been gaming for, well, a ridiculously long time. I'm going to be showing my age here a little bit. Um, but gaming started for me, you know, I, I can't even remember what age. Um, I would just go to my grandma's house every summer uh, for, for, for the summer, and um, she actually had an Atari 2600, and through the 70s and 80s, she actually collected Atari games and had mm, yeah, 200 to 500 games. Like it was, it's uh, it ridiculous. She was balling out. Oh man! Um, so I started gaming very early, pretty much at you know the advent of gaming. Even though um, you know the Atari game crash happened in '83, so but that's where I got my start. Um, you know, played a lot of those kind of classic type of games. Um, young age, parents got me an NES. I uh, played the crap out of that thing. Um, and then I had a Sega Genesis. You know, had probably about 100 Genesis games. Uh, to You know, when PlayStation 1. And I think PlayStation 1 is really where gaming really kind of took hold for me. Um, I remember seeing the Metal Gear Solid uh, commercials on TV and just thinking, wow, that looked incredible. Uh, and even the Final Fantasy VII, that, those two games really made me want to get a PlayStation. And pretty much from that point on, I've just, I haven't stopped gaming. You know, with Metal Gear Solid, especially the very first time there had ever been voices uh done to a game and that kind of cinematic experience I was just drawn in by the story and uh you know I've just gamed ever since and uh especially with games like Last of Us and uh, <laughs> we're having God. a face off right in the uh the room we uh, we have two uh, podcast um mascots here with us Archie the cat and Rue the dog and um uh, they just like goofing around a whole lot. Yeah, you know, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you're really showing your age. Some of these consoles I've never even seen in real life. Like, <laughs> oh really? Eh? Yeah. Some you're mentioning, and I'm like, I can't picture in my head what some of these look like. So that kind of puts that in perspective. Yeah. So I, I mean, I yes, I've gamed for a long time. Um, 
as a gamer, I'm much more drawn to single-player experiences now, something with deep stories. Um, I still try to play competitive games uh, with you and some of the other guys that we play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've, I've come to realize that I am just trash at competitive <laughs> multiplayer games. I'm not, uh, I don't have it in me to necessarily always keep up with the compete level. Yeah, it's the competitive video gaming. It's fun, but I I feel like like you're saying I find myself much more invested in like big AAA single player titles over the last couple of years or PVE with friends online. The PVP aspect and a few you know modern games that we play. I'm a, I think I'm coming to the same conclusion. You perhaps already have come to, and I'm just. I'm not cut out for it. You know, we play games and there's probably 11 or 12-year-olds that run circles around us. It's kind of alarming. <laughs> Their sweaty little hands <laughs> just going to town, trashing our moms from behind the anonymity of the internet. Yes, worst. Uh, <laughs> well, so let's let's keep going with the, the list that you've got. You We stopped at... Um, Genesis, SNES, what else have you got on the list there? Um, so after PS1, um, my brother had... So yeah, PS1, um, I also had a Nintendo 64, so obviously grew up in Nintendo, kept that going. Um, and as PS2 was coming out, I can't really remember how old I was. I was young, but I worked a part-time job, saved all my shekels for a PlayStation 2, bought that on day one with uh, Gran Turismo 3, oh, damn. I think. Um, and also, my brother had an original Xbox, so I got to experience Halo, Halo 2, the advent of online gaming with consoles. Um, and again, saved my money for PS3, launched day one. And I happened to win my PS4 for 10 bucks what? in launch week uh, just through the job. It was kind of one of the prizes they were putting on. Um, but, you know, I did a lot of PC gaming as well, uh, a lot of MMO styles. Um, I was big into the original EverQuest. I played EVE Online for five years. And I've just had a lot of experience with MMO type style gaming, co op, competitive style. Um, and that's, that's, you know, kind of me in a nutshell in terms of gaming. It's just, it's, it's definitely been my whole life. I keep up a lot on the news and what's going on in the gaming world across all three kind of the big wigs, the major brands. Um, I do, would say I'm much more of a PlayStation gamer than I am anything else. Right. Um, but I definitely like to dabble in everything and kind of, you know, see all the exclusives that are coming out. Right. So my list compared to yours is, is quite different. So the earliest uh, memories I have of video games in the house with my parents uh, was the Super Nintendo. Um, to my knowledge, it was my dad's. And we had a very limited amount of games. I think we had Spy vs. Spy, the original Super Mario Brothers, um, the Ninja Turtles game, and maybe one other. So like three or four games in the house. Um, we got to play it very sparingly, like it was put away most of the time, and like the odd time it was brought out and we could use it. Um, after that, uh, we got one of the big uh, PlayStation 1s, or PSX as it was commonly referred to in Europe. Had that for a while, uh, some great games, uh, 
Gran Turismo 2, I remember, the original Spyro, Crash Bandicoot. My Classics. My, uh, my parents played uh, through the original Tomb Raider games together with a big walkthrough that they printed off uh, the web. <laughs> um, my parents got divorced. Um, and then the first gaming purchase after the divorce was my mom buying us a silver satin uh, PlayStation 2. Um, and it just blew my mind, like, the difference between PlayStation 1 and PS2. So I had that for a while. Um, never played online. And then uh, I bought um, an Xbox, an original Xbox, with my own uh, pocket money or something I earned from, like, doing a paper route. Um, and played my first online game, which was... Uh, Star Wars Battlefront, the original one. Um, fast forward, moved to Canada. Uh, my uncle moved with us, and he had a PlayStation 3. Um, and that was in the basement, and I could only play it when he was around, and we played uh, Grand Theft Auto 4, a whole bunch on that. Um, fast forward a little bit further, I got my first part-time job while I was in high school, bought an Xbox 360, but never paid for online. I didn't. I wasn't really in the know about it, so I decided to, you know, not pay for online subscription. Switch back to PlayStation Three. I bought my own because it was free to play online. Um, then I moved out west, bought another PlayStation Three, except this was a slim model, and I bought it specifically for Grand Theft Auto Five to play it while I was working out there. Uh, moved back, bought a Destiny Four, uh, a Destiny PS Four launch uh, console. Bought an Xbox One a couple of years after the tax return. I traded both those consoles in for a higher model, so now we both got a PS4 Pro of some kind. Um, and also I traded in that Xbox a couple of times to end up with a, an Xbox One X. So we're kind of up there, and, and we both have a, a legacy, if you will, or a, you know, a journey of uh, gaming. Um, Mine's not as extensive as yours in terms of, you know, gaming culture from when you were born when I was just a glint in my mother's <laughs> eye. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I, I think it's, you know, still there. I think we both know enough about, um, you know, modern gaming and where gaming has come from. Yeah, know, so. for sure. Um, out of curiosity, what would you say your favorite game is? Oh, jeez. That's a tough one. You know, I've played a, a number of games over the years that I've just sunk so much time into. So, if we're looking at hours into a game, it's probably a mixture between Grand Theft Auto V and the online component. The Witcher 3. Ah... Uncharted four or three maybe yeah it's it's hard to say it's it some somewhere in there yeah yeah okay if I really had to point towards um, favorite games um, Last of Us is up there uh, just because Last of Us I never thought of games as a piece of art kind of like how you know movies TV shows kind of can kind of be considered within that realm um, but Last of Us kind of showed me. Um, you know, character development in a game can be so important and story is so important and it just drew me in so much. Um, and Metal Gear Solid 3 is another one that's right up near the top of that list for me. Um, just because of the emotion it, it, it elicited out of me 
um, during that final scene after the final boss fight. Right. Um, and I, I also kind of really, you know, love the Metal Gear Solids, but Metal Gear Solid 3 out of all the Metal Gear games is definitely the one in the story that sticks out to me the most and I remember the most. Yeah, it's... Video games, for me, have, have changed over the years, you know. I used to play it, and my mom said, get a real hobby! Go outside <laughs> and play, you know. Do something more meaningful. And, you know, now I find myself much rather spend money on a game to invest myself in a story that's going to play out, you know, over the next 40 hours, instead of reading or going to see a movie or something. You know, I I feel like there's a stigma around video games, but... If you could experience some of the stories that we've experienced, some of those journeys, you know, The Witcher 3, like you're saying with Metal Gear and um, The Last of Us, there's there's something so powerful behind some of those experiences that just can't be replicated any other way. Um, and I, I just, that, that's where I'm at with video games right now. There's some cool multiplayer games that we play, but nothing comes close to a good story-driven experience. Well, you can also be much more connected um, to a character in a video game to say, you know, in a movie or a book. And not to say that you can in a movie or a book, but the thing about a video game is that it is so interactive that you are living out this experience with the yeah. character in real time as it's happening with them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, so... This being a pilot, we want to kind of test a few things uh, with you guys and get some feedback. So we want to touch on kind of news and things that uh, are going on right now as we record. So, uh, Talon, what uh, what do you have for us first? Uh, for me, um, obviously, one of the big pieces of news right now is that the Division 2 open beta is coming out. Um, it will be running from March 1st until March 4th. Um, and you will be able to pre-download that on February 28th, which is two days from uh, the point that we're recording this. Um, for those of you that may have been in the private beta, if you pre-ordered, um, it is mostly going to be the same content. Um, there will be one more exclusive mission. But to kind of give you an idea of what's going to be in this open beta, you're going to have three main missions. The two missions that were from the private beta and one new exclusive mission. Um, within the open world, you're going to have five side missions that you can do, uh, control points and activities. You will also have dark zone and conflict. So the dark zone east is going to be open. There will be three dark zones in the final release of the game, but they're going to open up one to us. And there's also going to be the conflict mode, which is their... Uh, more arranged PvP style, and they're going to give you a taste of the end game as well. Uh, so there's going to be one invaded mission, and you're going to get to play with all three specializations. And we're going to go into a little more about that uh, in a little bit here. Cool. Uh, some other news uh, today. Got a brand new Red Dead Redemption 2 online update for their uh, online beta. This is touted as their first big update, uh, which includes uh, some new free play modes, some new competitive modes. You've got uh, daily challenges as well um, that you can complete, uh, which are things like um, fishing challenges um, and, and just kind of 
mechanic challenges that get you used to playing the game and encourage you to kind of invest some more time into it. But one of the main and biggest changes as part of this update that goes live today is a huge overhaul to the uh, bounty system um, and kind of the criminology side of that. Uh, so now if you're um, shooting up uh, people in a town or police officers or uh, anything like that, you now get a bounty. And as your bounty grows, you will have bounty hunters sent after you um, to a point where you get you know such a high bounty that uh, you're wanted dead. And I think that this is to kind of further emulate the single player, but also to kind of drive a wedge between players that don't want to be griefed and griefers so that there's some defined consequence to that. Some other Rockstar news as well. Um, some of you may know that play uh, Grand Theft Auto Online religiously. There was uh, a recent money glitch with Lester and spawning a plane where you could earn up to uh, one or $2,000 uh, for every two seconds that you perform the glitch, which is insane. That's a lot of That's, money. That is crazy. That, um, at the very beginning of us recording today, has been patched. So... Uh, if you've got uh, illicit, <laughs> illicitly obtained money, you need to clean that, uh, spend it on goods, uh, properties, because they won't take that away from you. If you let that money sit in your bank account, um, Rockstar will remove it. Funnily enough, a game about stealing and killing and murdering won't let you get money in a way they don't want you to get it. <laughs> kind of funny. Stealing's not allowed. Yeah, don't steal money. Especially from Rockstar. Is that it for the news? Is, it, is that everything we got today? I, I think that's all we've got for today. Not okay. much else going on. Um, now, what we also kind of want to talk about, or at least every week, we're going to bring two topics to the table um, just to kind of do a discussion around those. Um, so I will be bringing one and Cormac will be bringing one. Now, the topic I wanted to talk about today, Cormac is games as a service. What do you mean, Talon? Um, you know, games as a service versus kind of the traditional full launch, full release of a game. Because um, games as a service, especially with kind of like the, the recent Anthem release, we're starting to see a trend where games are releasing... And there isn't an overabundant amount of content towards the end game. Right. Now, can you release a full game and it still be games as a service? Or do you think that games as a service is a ticket out of producing a full game? I think lately it has been used as a ticket out. Um, more of a, more of a cop-out... Um, as a way, uh, it, it's, I don't know, it's hard, because I remember, you know, back in the day when I first played EverQuest. Now, MMOs could easily be considered a games-as-a-service. They've been around for a long time, but they're always updated with content patches, expansions. So games-as-a-service really is a new term, but it's something that's been happening for a long time. Anyone that's played World of Warcraft, right, yeah. EverQuest, and I mean, when you look at those games, and when they launched, they were goddamn massive. Right, yeah, a whole lot of content for a price that you'd expect to pay, and then games as a service on top of it, so, you know, you can see a roadmap, a future for your game, you know your money and your time that's going to be invested, 
is ultimately going to go somewhere. Now, you mentioned uh, Anthem. Now, it seems as though they're touting Anthem as games as a service, and for those that don't know, Anthem is a recently released sci-fi um, looter shooter, kind of in the same vein as Destiny. Um, but there's been some kind of uproar about um, what's been released to us for a premium price, um, and I feel like games as a service on modern console generations has some negative connotation. I think it speaks to me as games as a service, so we're going to launch what we have right now, and then all this other content that should have been in the full release, we're just going to spread out over the next year. Yes, um, and you even kind of look at the original Destiny launch. Um, you know, when it comes to it, I mean, the hardcore are always going to crush these games and cruise through these games, get to what end game content there is, and, you know, that's where the grind really starts in these games as a service, especially looter shooters. Now, you also look at the release of Destiny 2. Destiny 2 felt like such a step backwards because they geared itself, it geared itself more towards the casual right. and got away from what the hardcore players really liked, which is the randomized perks on the gun. Things that would always kind of keep you grinding and going and going and going. Um, and then an now you have Anthem coming out, uh, which feels very much in the same regard, where there isn't a lot that's going to keep people playing at the end of the day. So I know they have a roadmap, but I feel like they're going to have to maybe increase that timetable. Now, releasing games in a not fully finished state... Um, Division could, Division Two could easily be considered a games as a service game as well, right? Um, and they they're doing something quite different, it would seem. Um, Division Two has been made completely with the end game in mind. So there's the campaign, and you max out at level thirty. Right. So here's what happens when you finish the campaign and hit level thirty. A new faction comes into the fold. Um, and what they start to do is they start to invade your missions and they start to invade the, the open world as well. Um, when you hit level 30 and finish the store, you also get three new specializations to choose from, which open a completely new skill tree for you to put points into and max out. Right. And you're not locked into a single specialization either. You can go, you know, swap, uh, from all three. Um, this new faction will also take over the strongholds that you had previously <coughs> captured with a new stronghold emerging as well. Hmm. And as you take these strongholds out, you'll actually unlock new world tiers that will give you new gear and new gear level um, gear levels to essentially help you max out, um, as well as um, a, a raid. A full-on eight-player raid, which was never done in the original division. Right. So it seems like they've really thought about what they want uh, and listened to some, listened to the fans and to the people, and they've created the game completely with the end game in mind. Right, and I like what Division Two uh, or Ubisoft are doing with Division Two in terms of marketing, um, because from the get-go, they've kind of shown us trailers of what the story is about, and then they're telling us what the roadmap is, games as a service, what it looks like, what it's going to look like in the next year. What I don't like about what happened with Anthem is that 
in the trailers, they showed off some of these features, some of these game modes, and some of these things that really, uh, you know, captured the hearts and minds of would-be customers. And then it comes down to it, well, actually, what we showed you in the trailers is not in the game right now, but it's going to be part of that game's service. I think it could have been achieved in a, in a different way, their marketing. I think that part of the reason why people are so disappointed with what the roadmap looks like is that they were really expecting some of those visuals and some of those features that were shown in the trailers to be in full launch day one, and they're just not. So, you know, I think it comes down to games of a service, games as a service isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, you know, you investing $80, $100, you know, in a game with games of a service, it shows you're really going to get some longevity out of the game. I think that people uh, and companies uh, are using it in an incorrect way or not to its full potential. And that's where I think people are scared off and in buying into these games as a service because, you know, it's a lot of money up front for something you don't know is going to pan out. Yes. And, you know, I think a lot of these things, roadmap in mind, are subject to change. You know, no one's... Who's keeping them accountable? Yeah, and... Would it would it be fair to say that a lot of people now are kind of giving these publishers and these developers a pass on this? Should we expect more from a games-as-a-service game when it launches? I think it's hard to say, you know. Um, I feel like there's such a strong mix of games available now that are either free-to-play or the big single-player AAA, you know, experience, or, you know, these uh, looter shooters or... Uh, games as a service games that consumers have so much to choose from like there's an like insane amount of games available at your fingertips at any given moment what I think is happening still is people are pre-ordering and that's the problem is that they pre-order they put their money down months before the game launches and then it launches and it's completely different to what it was supposed to be so, you know, and I think that both of us, we still pre-order to a certain extent. You know, there's a couple of games this year and tail end of last year yeah. that I did pre-order. But because I knew that at least one certain aspect of that game was going to be worthwhile, Red Dead Redemption 2, for example, pre-ordered that as soon as I could. Because I knew I would at least spend, you know, 60 to 100 hours with it. And I have, and if not more. And I think, uh, I think it comes down to... It's not necessarily giving companies or uh, game companies a, a pass with it. I think our practices need to change, um, and we just need to be smarter about our investments, and that's all. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I find myself, um, you know, having been burned on Destiny 1. So I, I stopped playing Destiny 1 at its second expansion, right. and I didn't come back to it till way after the Taken King, when it be, had be really transformed into a drastically different game. And I played it pretty much from that point on all the way until Destiny 2 came out. I felt burned on Destiny 2. Um, and I don't even play it to this day. Even with Forsaken out, I haven't dropped the money for no, Forsaken. Uh, I have zero interest. Now, I am curious as to what will happen with Destiny 3 in the future now that Bungie has split from Activision and been able to keep the rights, which is kind of crazy to think about on, in itself. But I am getting to a point now where 
I don't know how often I will actually get a game like Anthem on release day no. because I think I'm going to be more willing to just kind of wait a year until the game is more full with more content and you can get it at a cheaper price. Like, I think I'm really gearing myself. And I, I think that comes a lot from my past just having, you know, played these MMO games that are so massive that I just, I kind of have, I kind of expect more. And that's why I'm so excited about Division 2, because it really seems like it's trending differently over everything else. Yeah, I think that the marketing is very clever in what uh, these companies decide to do with marketing, and that they make it seem like you're missing out on getting it, you know, not getting it day one. Um, and with the games as a service game, you know, if you invest, you're, early, you're an early adopter and you're there day one, you can play the game, master it, and be there, you know, while it's developing to something else. Like you said, if you're picking up a game a year after its release and it's now completely different to when it was when it launched, you're you're either don't you know, you've got this huge task in catching up with all of the lore and, you know, what the game is now versus, you know, the players who adopted it day one. And I think that puts a lot of people off. You know, I met a guy playing online, uh, checking out the Red Dead 2 update today, and um, he asked me about whether or not it was worthwhile for him to pick up uh, Grand Theft Auto now for Grand Theft Auto Online. And I said, you know, I don't mean to dissuade you from purchasing a game, because it's great, but I wouldn't at this point. You know, it's it's been out so many years, and you're going to be so far behind the curve that it's almost going to be impossible for you to get invested, because... There's so much that you're missing out on, you know? So, yeah, I mean... Although I would have to say, I think NDP would disagree with you there because Grand Theft Auto V is still one of the top 10 best-selling games month after month, so people are still buying that game. It's insane. Like, you've got to have people losing their copies or just snapping them in half out of anger at this point because it, it, it it's mind-blowing how well that game sells, you know, month after month. Fair enough. So the topic I want to bring to the plate is um, advertising before a release or to not. So, you know, should we do it? Should we not? Um, is there a benefit to doing that? And using Apex Legends um, and their release as a prime example. So for those of you who are not aware, in the Battle Royale space, the genre now, uh, there's a new contender. It's called Apex Legends, and it's from the same uh, studio that brought you Titanfall. And it's in the, the Titanfall Extended Universe. Now, what's really special about this game is that no one knew about it at all. And then a couple of streamers were uh, brought into the fold, I presume, and shown it behind closed door doors. And they streamed Titanfall 2, you know, a couple of days before the release. And then all of a sudden, Apex Legends launched. There's no trailers, there's no TV spots, nothing. This game came out. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I think that is. Number one, it has EA's name on it. EA doesn't have a necessarily good re reputation, and we've seen that maybe from the launch of Anthem as well, to tie that back into it, and that it's, uh, it's got EA's name on it, um, and people don't trust EA. The other side of it is, there is damage that a hype train can do. And we've seen that primarily in the not-too-distant past with No Man's Sky. Yeah. The hype train was out of control all over Reddit, Twitter, about what this game was going to be, 
you know, etc. And then it came out, it was not what everybody wanted it to be. So I think there's a benefit in um, launching a game out of the blue. It's uh, a full-blown release. It's not in beta. It's not a demo. It's a full release. It is so highly polished and plays so well, but it came out of nowhere. And I think that they could have suffered if they had talked about it months in advance because, A, it was a, a battle royale in the space that is just, you know, already highly flooded with other battle royales and because of EA's name on it. You know, I think that they definitely did themselves um, a favor by not saying anything and then blowing everything else out of the water with this free game. What's Well, what's crazy about Apex Legends, I mean... Everybody wants to take out the big boy Fortnite right yeah, now, right? I absolutely. mean, you look at how stream that game is, how competitive that game has become, that by having no hype train, no trailers, nothing, and just kind of releasing, one, you're able to enter yourself into that kind of battle royale genre and kind of take your competition by surprise. I mean, you're not you're not allowing your competition to essentially react to you um, by getting ready to counter you for when your game launches. You even look at what Epic did with Fortnite by putting in these challenges to give you the next season pass for free if you completed this challenges. It kind of showed that... <laughs> they were concerned. I, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, I think it was a smart move. Now, I don't necessarily think that would work for every game or a lot of games. No. I mean, that's not something you would ever want to do with a single-player game. Um, you know, I can't ever see um, a Last of Us 2-style game just releasing one day to, you know... I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, the only game that did that in recent memory was uh, with Fallout when they Fallout announced 4, it. Fallout Four, yeah, it was, gonna it be was and it was out three months later. Yeah. Now, I it's that that in itself was kind of clever too because they did do that with a single player game. But Fallout has such a big following already that when they did announce that, I think it released what three months later, kind of thing, and yeah. it was super successful. Now. I, I liked the game. I never finished it because I did get an immersion kind of breaking bug kind of towards the end of the game. But that was very successfully done. But I still, you know, I don't think that can be done every time. I think no. I think for games like that, you definitely need to kind of show. But what I would say is that we get a lot of games that show too much too early and don't necessarily necessarily live up to what is shown. Yeah, I, I think with any product and with a, any business, it's important to show some of your cards because you need something to get investors, cu customers, consumers on board with the product, get them hyped for it, you know, this is going to be a cool thing, etc. But I think that you, you're doing yourself a disservice by showing all of your cards. You know, yeah. this is exactly what this is. This is, you know, we're showing you in the trailer footage from Endgame, etc. You know, I think... You have to leave some surprises. Um, and to tie Red Dead Redemption 2 back into this, there are so many twists and turns in that campaign that were never, ever leaked. And I, like, I'm so grateful for that because, you know, that whole... Spoilers. Um, that whole part where you go off to Gwarmer and you're, you know, on this tropical island as a cowboy with no horses available. 
It was spectacular. I didn't even see that coming. Fantastic storytelling. I mean, I think that, you know, that experience, that shock would have been ruined if Rockstar had shown their cards. So I think, you know, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B in, in both sense. Yeah, and also, you know, in the sense of showing too much, how often have we seen a game get downgraded you know, all the, the graphics downgraded talk, especially, you know, obviously where this whole trend started was with the original Watch Dogs. <laughs> what we were shown to what we got was such a drastic change. What a dumpster fire that was. And and I think, and in, in Ubisoft was pretty bad for that for quite a while, and I think they've kind of turned a corner and they're not doing that so much. No, I, I, I think... You know, while we're on the topic of Ubisoft and, and Division 2 and, and um, their reputation versus someone like EA and Anthem, is that Ubisoft have really turned themselves around. If you look at how they've, uh, how they developed and changed Division 1, for example, you know, we've recently got back into it, you a little bit more than me, just to kind of prepare ourselves for Div 2. That game is completely different from launch. Drastically. Um, and... Credit where credit's due. Like, they did not have to do it, and the the past dictates that they probably wouldn't have done it, but they did. Um, you know, and with other games that they have, For Honor and... Uh, Rainbow Six Siege, kind of as an example, yeah. too. It's going into season three, maybe season four. I'm not sure, but when that game launched, it was riddled with bugs, and now it's one, considered one of the best games out there as a competitive shooter game. Yeah, it's it's very. We live in very interesting times with uh, game developers, and I feel like there's going to be a huge shift in who are the top dogs, and you know, uh, who is going to get most of my money. It's still going to be for for now. Rockstar, um, CD Project Project Red, with uh, any continuation of the Witcher franchise or, or Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, absolutely. And I think you know, Ubisoft may win me back. I probably will never play another Assassin's Creed game ever again. Um, but, you know, if they continue down this road um, of uh, supporting their games with Division 2, I'm on board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? To be honest, I think that's it. We covered the news, we covered our topics, kind of why we're doing this. I think we just need to give uh, the listeners out there a bit of a heads up of what the plan is with this. Yes, for sure. Go ahead. And, and any any feedback would definitely be appreciated um, this is obviously not s set in stone by any means how we're going to do the podcast. Um, definitely want to do this on a weekly basis, um, but we're going to kind of, you know, feel it out and learn our structure. Yeah, it's going to be one of those things where we talk a lot about video games anyway, so I think it's going to be funny to watch ourselves try and hold back and leave the conversation for the podcast. Yes, for sure. Um, but uh, it's going to be available on free feeds. This is not a paid-for subscription-based podcast like some of the uh, rest of them, at least for now. You know, while we're doing this out of passion and, you know, we just, we like to do it and we love talking about games. So um, anywhere that you find your podcasts, be on Android or on iOS, it will be available. Um, and we will figure out over the next couple of weeks kind of a regular schedule for posting uh, so you know when to catch us and where to find us. But this being our pilot episode, we just wanted to kind of get this done and get this out as quickly as possible because we have talked about this for a long time yeah. and it's kind of been a passion project. 
Uh, and I think in the future, we're going to um, isolate the pets. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of chaos going on around us through this podcast. I know I was distracted at times. Uh, but thank you for putting up with uh, putting it up with it through all of this. Yeah, thanks so much, guys, for listening. And uh, again, you know, we'll uh, we'll keep you updated what our plans are and uh, uh, what we're gonna do going forward. All right, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks again. Yeah.